1: Hi everyone, welcome to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Networker podcast. I'm Chase, I'm here with my co-host James, and today's packed episode is going to touch on the schedule to round out the regular season, Gordon Hayward's return to the Hornets lineup, LaMelo Ball's feature article by Frank and Callie on Slam Magazine, and just some general thoughts on the state of the East and the teams that the Hornets are going to be playing as the 2021-22 season comes to a close. But first... James has an announcement to make. Uh, Let let the listeners know what you're you're going to be up to here in the future.
0: Some people have probably seen it already, but um, this is going to be my last season with the At The Hive live podcast. Um, I've recently taken on a position at Sports Illustrated um, on the All Nation Hornets site. And uh, in that role, I'm going to be doing a, a podcast. I'm going to be doing some writing. I'm going to be doing some videos and some kind of Generally, general. I think my my role title is site content manager, something some, something like that. Um, so I'm going to be kind of helping out a little bit more, taking on a bit more active role, kind of helping running the website really. So I'm seeing out the the end of the regular season with the podcast with my with my good friend Chase here, and then after that, um, I'll be I'll be hopping on over to Sports Illustrated um so so yeah bit of an announcement for me um I think I mean we both what we both started doing this podcast on a regular basis and deep darkest lockdown so like when you know when we look back in 20 years and we go oh remember that time we had a lockdown at the Hive live podcast is going to be a big part of that
1: yeah it's it's going to be like my biggest memories and first I mean congratulations I'm I'm very happy for you but getting to work under Sports Illustrated is going to be huge I've been reading the uh, Bill Simmons book of basketball a lot lately, and that like touches on the history of like the NBA and stuff. And they bring up Sports Illustrated like all the time because that was like the big thing for like the high majority of like sports media's history. So every t- every time I see that, I've I've been thinking that like, there we go. My my podcast partner is he's going to work for that for Sports Illustrated. He's running the Hornets website that they've got going. So. Congratulations again! It, it's it's super super cool. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's unfortunate that the At the Hive Live podcast, as we know it, uh, has to come to an end and sometime soon. But good things don't last forever. That's why you you cherish them while they're here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've had it's been a fun two seasons, right? Like, I I know the Hornets have not won playoff series, but if you're judging. If you're judging the history of Hornet seasons, <laughs> which they've not been great, like it's been a fun two years. Maybe it hasn't been full of loads of wins this year, like above 500, but it's been fun and we've had a heck of a time doing it from the mellow breaking his wrist and us crying on this podcast to us crying after the Pacers uh, the blowout last year to us doing the live draft episode and being buzzing when they, they traded that second pick. Um, you know, there's been a lot of highs and lows, and and it's been good fun. And, and for people wondering, you know, me and Chase are definitely going to be staying in touch. This is not, you know, goodbye. And we're hopeful maybe in the future to to keep collaborating, but we'll kind of watch the space in that one, and we'll we'll let you know if anything else can can happen with that. Um, but yeah, this this is by no means the end, but it is just uh, a pause for now.
1: Yes, and I, you know, once the season ends as well, I, you know, at the Hive is still still doing stuff so be sure to keep yeah. posted in the in the podcast feed for there and what what we've got cooking for the the off season and eventually when we get to it, the 2022-23 season which it doesn't seem close right now but i mean we're in april the nba calendar ends in june so if the, the things are changing pretty quickly here but we're going to um, make one, sure that... one
0: one week until the end of the like one week until te- probably the first playing game one week today chase and that's just when we're recording so when people yeah. listening to this, it's going to be like, I mean, just it's, the end of the season, the middle of the season goes on forever. And then the end of the season just seems to wrap up so quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But the end of this season, we're going to make sure it's a good one, at least from podcasting perspective. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to we're going to do what we can if we have to deal with another uh, Pacers-esque loss in the play. in, but hopefully that's not going to happen uh, it doesn't seem like it will with with how things have been going so
0: if it does they'll have to make some more room in the locker room where they've got the uh the box score printed of the Pacers <laughs> game they'll have yeah. to rub that out and kind of make it a bit smaller and then fit fit. The yeah, put, put another
1: one up there yeah it'd be like yeah. uh like when the Notre Dame football players slap the play like a champion today sign when they leave the locker room the Hornets can just slap the, the two <laughs> box scores of getting drubbed in the in the play-in but hopefully it doesn't come to that but all right. So I, I mentioned today in the intro, we're going to talk about like a whole bunch of stuff, but first we're going to start with the Hornets schedule to round out the year. Um, they just come off a 30 point loss against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, we don't really need to, to talk about a whole lot of that because probably yes. wouldn't be fun or entertaining. So uh, we'll move on from that one, just like uh, the Hornets are hopefully, because just one game, they've still got a a few very important ones to round out the year to determine the play in seating. Cause I mean, it's not even just the play in really like ob- th- that's what the Hornets are concerned about. It's literally the entire Eastern conference. Like no, no playoff position is set really anywhere. Like the one seed changes seemingly every day at this point, like the Celtics have had it, the Sixers, the bucks, the heat, like all of these teams are just rotating. And then yeah. in the play in region, the Nets, Hawks, Hornets, Raptors, Cavs, bulls, even like, since they've been sliding, like everything is just changing. Every day, look, look, looking at the standings when I wake up in the morning, is like it, it's it. See, it feels like I'm. Lo- I, sh- I should be looking at this after like two weeks have transpired because of how much movement there's been. But it's just every day,
0: which I have to say is is fantastic. It's like, so fun. We, yeah, there's so many years where everyone complains about, like for example, when the Warriors dynasty was at its best, everyone was like, "What's the point of even doing this regular season when the Golden State Warriors are there?" Because like, unless they get injured, they're gonna win it. And now the NBA is so wide open. I mean, has there ever been so many teams that you could be like, like could the Raptors or the Bulls put together a, a run and win? Like, sure, could the could the Nuggets put a, put a run together? Like, could the Clippers, from where they yeah. are with Paul George coming back, like, there's all these factors. It's it's Chris Adam Silver's got to be looking at his like a reformed lottery odds and and rubbing his eyes, rubbing his hands, saying this is parity. Like in professional sports. You don't get parity like this, barely ever, from top to bottom of the league. Um, it's it's great. It just makes it, it's so hard to know what to cover because normally going into the stretch of the season, there's like two or three storylines. Like ooh, the this this position seeding, like that's the big thing that everyone's talking about. You can literally talk about anything every single day, and it is relevant. and And the Hornets are right in the mix, and I think that's really really fun to be part of. This Hawks, Hornets, Nets. I mean, all like the the, Haw- the Hornets and the Hawks are seven and three in their past 10. They're all over 500. Um, and very unfortunate for the Hornets to be 40 and 38 and to be ninth, tied ninth in the NBA. I mean, that's just so un- unfortunate. Like last year, if they were, what, above 500, if they have 40 wins, they would have been like up between the sixth and the seventh seed. So they would have been the seventh seed last year. So the NBA has got, a
1: lot better. Yeah, I mean, the Hornets finished last season, a uh, shortened season. They finished 33 and 39, and we're in the same spot. Like, they've improved their record by eight games, and the standing hasn't changed, which, I mean, it's not – that's not really – you can't really be too upset about that because it's not anything you can really control. Like, the, the team won more games. They Everyone improved. Mm-hmm that's all you can really that's all you can do it's all you can get, can only control what you can control but i mean yeah. it's it's been it's been a great great season in the nba this year and this is all like the hornets are two games over 500 after like playing a different sport for the entire month of february like that like that <laughs> wasn't the, a, a hornets basketball team like they were so much different they lost like almost i think they won two games in the month of february like, and they're still like two games over 500 right now after they turned it around and like locked into the play. in after that went over the Knicks a few days ago, like it's, it's it's a testament to, to how good they've been.
0: Real testament for a young team who is used to losing, let's be honest, this franchise. Yeah. Everyone was expecting, Oh, here comes the Hornets slide. Like we were expecting that. I was thinking, God, can they cling on to the play-in and like they would have probably finished 10th, you know, no like no matter what, even if they had gone on the slide because the Knicks are like so far behind, but they've not just limped into the play-in. Well, not yet anyway, but it doesn't seem like they're just limping in like last year. They, they're going in playing basketball, where, which they're competing with everyone, Barfield. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're managing to compete with everyone else. Um, so yeah, they've been playing well. And it's, it's been a weird last just couple of weeks here with... The Philly game, I think they had, what, three days rest or two days rest before the Philly game. Then you got two days or three days afterwards. They didn't play again until Wednesday. So that's a three-day rest. So one game essentially in five days, which is really strange down the stretch of the season. But then, we were just looking at this before, you've got the Miami game at Miami on Wednesday, and then you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you have three games in four nights. You get back to back to finish the season at Chicago, at Washington. So it's not even like a home and home. You're traveling to finish the season. So and then you've got the play-in two days later after that. It's not an easy ride by any means. Like that's a lot of games. That's essentially what four games in five days to finish the to finish out the season. That's tough.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm, I'm not sure if any of the listeners uh, have found this anywhere. So I'll say it now. But the, the play in tournament begins on April 12th and ends on the 15th. But none of the like seeding or matchup times or any dates or anything like that have been determined for like what teams or seeds are going to play what day and what time and all that. So we'll have to see as it comes out. But the play in day or play in game will be no later than two or three days after the Hornets final regular season game at home in Washington. So, I mean, if they could end up hosting that playing game, that would that would help a lot with limiting the amount of travel that they're going to have to be doing over the course of like five days or something at the end of the year. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But what do you think about the um, just the general strength of the schedule going down the stretch? Because obviously Miami is a top team in the East, and then Orlando and Washington – uh, Orlando especially doesn't want to win games the the, the Wizards have nothing to gain by winning a, the last game of the regular season. Chicago has been sliding. I, I, I was looking this up uh, right now while we we're just talking since February 26th, which is kind of when their big slide began. They are the 27th offense and the 24th defense in the NBA. So they really have not Hit, been hitting their stride as the season closes they, they obviously they still have lots of like high level talent uh caruso and Lon- caruso's back lonzo is it seems to be in the process of coming back though his rehab for i don't
0: think, eight- think he's gonna be back for the for the playoffs. yeah for, i'm not all.
1: yeah because his his rehab he had been rehabbing and then they kind of pulled him back and i'm yeah. not sure if they've restart r- ramped that back up yet but We'll have we'll have to see with that, but I mean Caruso's he's back he's been fine so they've gotten a little bit better. Uh, they won two games to get back to back against the Wizards and Clippers before they lost to the Heat on Saturday. But what do you what do you think about the schedule going down the stretch? Do you think that this is like a, other than the the traveling and the rest issue? Do you think this is like a a, t- a tough schedule to have down the stretch because the Nets have a, have a a relative cakewalk coming down the stretch
0: here. They do. I I definitely think it's the toughest schedule of the the Hawks, Hornets, and Nets. Um, the all I in Washington, they like still play hard, even though they've got nothing to play for. They're not like the Blazers who have just completely mailed it. Yeah, in. playing like they're still like playing NBA bunch of players stuff, for, the, yeah. for the most part. Um, this Chicago game, I, I agree. They've not been playing well, but Chicago has whooped us twice this year. We seem to be a really bad matchup. Vooch seems to feast inside. Levine always goes off against us. DeRozan's obviously playing well. But we've never been playing as well as we have been recently when we've been playing them. Miami, we used to play Miami pretty hard, but they've, they've again, they've kicked our butt a little bit recently. Um, I think the hope of the Chicago game is that there could be a world with Chicago where they are kind of locked into a seed by the time they play us. Like if, if Chicago struggle over the next couple and Toronto do well, they could almost be kind of locked into a sixth seed, um, which would be great because like Zach Levine's had a niggling knee injury. So if they've got any chance to to rest him, I'm sure they'll look to do th- do so. DeRozan isn't necessarily the youngest. Um, so I could see them trying to wrap a couple of the, those guys in cotton wool. But like we say, it's, it's so close. It's more than likely that everyone's going to have something to play for right down the end of the season here, which we these meaningful games – like, it, it's nice to watch something with, with meaning and stress on it. Like, the players, it's important that they have to play with that pressure. They've had great moments, such as Utah, such as New Orleans, Dallas, Atlanta, Brooklyn recently. They've had a couple of letdowns, New York, uh, Denver, Philadelphia. They're, they're finding their way. It's not perfect, but it's good enough right now that it gives you some real hope for the future.
1: So I think one of the biggest changes I think that this team is, or definitely the biggest change, I don't know why I said one of, is integrating Hayward back into the lineup for these last four games. His first game back with Philadelphia, did not start, came off the bench and played 27 minutes, five points, three rebounds, four assists, and a steal, two for six from the field. He made a three. Uh, the box score looks, you know, that looks okay for a guy that just missed 22 games and played 17 minutes off the bench in his first game back, but what were your thoughts on like how he looked and how do you think he's going to be integrated into the rotation down the stretch here? Because uh, James Borrego, actually, I don't know if you saw this today uh, in his media availability. He said that he kind of told the players like what their roles are going to be going down the stretch and that uh, I'll read the exact quote. He said uh, this is from Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer, former guest on that at the Hive live podcast. But. Borrego said, going into this final week, I think giving the guys some clarity on roles and rotations will help them play at a higher level. So it seems he has addressed, like, the whole thing of being like, how are we going to get Hayward back? Who's going to play less? Is he going to play ex- just as much as he did when he got hurt? It seems that he's addressed that in-house. So we'll have to see what happens when they play Miami and the games for the rest of the season. But what what do you think is going to transpire here?
0: I hadn't heard that quote. So that's really interesting.
1: Okay.
0: From from the timing of that after the game he's just played, I think he'd be really hard pressed to be like, "Yeah, Hayward's going to be a starter and play thirty minutes a game." Yeah, you you couldn't give that message after the game you saw against Philly, which makes me think that he's essentially said, "Hayward, you're coming off the bench for the rest of the season," and he he might have also given some clarity to to some of that wing rotation in terms of like who's not going to be playing because. Against Philadelphia, you essentially played. I mean, I know McDaniel's got seven minutes, but I think they more came when the game was out of hand. You had Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin, Harold, Ubre, and Isaiah Thomas. That's a 10-man rotation in in actual kind of proper rotation minutes where it wasn't junk time. I wonder if they will try and trim that further. Like, I, I don't know where you would. I'd probably say it would be isaiah or maybe kelly mm-hmm. but it sounds like he's going to tighten up that rotation now for the stretch run so whatever we see in the next game i think he's going to roll with that you know unless they're down 20 and they have to go super small to, to try and get back into a game i think that they've got a plan now of what they're going to roll with for the rest of the season and i don't expect him to change from that until he has to which this is the hard thing like the, with the in-game adjustments from Borrego, does that mean that he's locked himself in now to a rotation and that he's he's not changing it on, on matchups? It kind of sounds like it.
1: That's a good point because I mean, I guess it would depend on how that conversation kind of went. As if it was more about uh, like total minutes played in a game, or like you're going to be starting, you're going to come off the bench. You know, mm-hmm. you're the first yeah, guy off the bench, you're the second guy off the bench. I don't because uh, I guess that that could add like a different layer to it. But I do kind of agree that like it like I thought he played okay like I didn't think he was bad like he missed a lot of time he made a three had some nice passes and stuff uh, but he obviously wasn't Gordon Hayward
0: his misses always look ugly even when he's healthy though like he's just someone he misses a lot of shots that you you think oh he should have made that and like you know, it's it's relatively wide open. Which he just, misses
1: you know, a lot of easy layups and makes a lot of ridiculously hard mid range shots. Is yes. like going back to his Boston days. Like that's something that I've I've noticed with him. Which like I I mean I guess you take the trade off. They're all worth two points, so it works out. I guess eventually. But I I, I definitely agree with that saying. Like, oh hey, uh, PJ, like you have been playing really well. Like he had 14 points in the game against Philly. That's uh, not like he played bad that night, even though nobody played like particularly well. If you give up 144 points in regulation and lose by 30, but I mean, it's hard to tell that guy, especially he's been playing so well in the other games before that, that he has to come off the bench now, play five less minutes per game, uh, and especially because PJ he doesn't even play the same position as Gordon. Like uh, he's either the four or the five. Gordon is the, the three or the four. So I think you probably. I think you kind of have to bring him off the bench at least for a couple more games and then kind of maybe wean like Oubre's minutes down, Isaiah Thomas's minutes down. Uh, and th- this is something I'll talk about when we do a pod our, uh, for the play and preview, but I'm not sure if Isaiah Thomas is going to be somebody that plays a lot in those like single Ooh. elimination games anyway just cuz it's like it's a bit of a risk but i'll i'll delve into that more in a week so the listeners are going to have to come back to the next episode if they want to want to yeah, hear my thoughts but me, on that yeah me one. and
0: chase for, for the listeners we've been doing our homework so oh we have, we, we have we've been going back watching the hawks and the nets games from this year all of them and we're going to be kind of coming back with with some of our key takeaways from those games in a potential playing matchup um so that's going to be in your podcast feeds sunday evening after the last regular season game against washington no matter what the matchup is going to be, we'll have the knowledge for you.
1: That is the at the Hive live guarantee, so you guys will have to, you'll have to stay tuned for that one. But yeah, I, I think that you're you're probably you're probably right. It, you can't really start him right now, uh, and it, it will be interesting though with the Hornets bringing basically four, three wings off the bench, potentially four. I guess if Jalen McDaniel's plays at all, but because you have Hayward, Martin, and Ubray, those guys all play two, three, four, like somewhere along those lines and um you're basically you're back to unless Isaiah Thomas is playing big minutes like you uh like 18 22 minutes or something like that he's gonna get
0: hunted so badly I know playoffs, that's that
1: that's what I'm saying that that's so why it's badly. tough like players that uh have like a very specific flaw like that's what you will like coaches hunt for in the playoffs it's not about like we need to play our game we need to do what we need to do it's like Find what works and beat it to death until it doesn't work anymore. Because you just got to get those four wins and move on. Like it's it's not about like a, a change adapting to the style that you've been playing all year. So that will that will definitely be an interesting note. But I think it'll be tough to get Hayward back in the starting lineup unless he starts playing a little better.
0: I'm I'm really look I'm really glad Hayward's come back this week. Because... Yes,
1: absolutely. And him coming off the bench is a very very good thing too. It's not like we're disappointed that he's not able to. No, start. not like at him, all. Him like, coming I, I, off the bench is a huge weapon.
0: This, the team has rhythm right now this, with this starting group. Um, I think I tweeted out just before this episode, but the starters since the All-Star break, which includes P.J. Washington, have got the second best offense per 100 possessions, just under 122 points per 100 possessions of any five in the NBA just behind the Philadelphia 76ers. And can I just say, that's a starting five with Mason Plumley in yeah. it. You're not talking about a Nikola Jokic, an MB, not even someone who can, you know, stretch the floor. You're talking about a guy who can't make free throws, who can't do anything but reverse dunk. And that is the second best starting five offense in the league over the last what 30 odd games? That is phenomenal. Yeah, that's and a And the defense large has been fine. Size. It's not been good. Like the Philadelphia game, it was absolutely horrendous. But across the board, there's been enough okay games like Dallas, for example. Mm-hmm where you think, okay, we can we can work this. And I think one thing that we've learned about this Hornets team is they, they deal a lot better with a perimeter-orientated threat, like a Luca Trae Young type. They prefer kind of working and defending those types than an interior player like Jokic, like Embiid, um, which isn't a sharp, hence why those two are the MVP candidates. But even other big guys in the league uh, who, who you run into, Giannis is another guy who's, you know, struggled with at times. Even guys like Porzingis, we've struggled with. Towns, um, the the bigs is who we really seem to struggle with. So, um, yeah, I I, I think it makes complete sense. Hayward off the bench. um, He will look better. But I also don't think people should be expecting, like, looking back at season numbers and then looking at the play, and like, if, if Hayward gives you... 10 points a game on like efficient shooting off the bench down the stretch here. Like as long as he's efficient and he's creating for others, that's fine for me. Like I'm not expecting to get 15 to 20 point per game Gordon Hayward back this season. It's just not, I don't think it's realistic to get him playing consistently at this point in the next week. He's going from doing nothing to playing intense playoff atmosphere. Like, He's probably going to hit his, like, trough of tiredness. You get through your adrenaline the first few games. He's going to get doms, you know, with a, your, your muscle fatigue and everything is going to come literally later this week. And that's the end of the season in the plan.
1: Yeah, and uh, I remember uh, Borrego even said that, like, he hasn't practiced with the team, really. Like, the, <laughs> the starting five that they have now, like he hasn't practiced in a practice with those guys as like the starting group yet. Like he, he the on top of him not being in shape, the rhythm probably isn't quite there yet. So I agree that like whatever you get from him is a positive because before that you were getting nothing. And replacing, you know, the like bad Ubre minutes per se, or like some Jalen McDaniel's minutes with Gordon Hayward minutes is a huge positive for the hornet i mean he was he was a starter for the whole year and he was very good so if you can get that guy coming back at 75 percent ability for a playoff run you'll take that because we we saw what happened last year when they didn't have that and it's not like he they would have won if they had him but like it it was it's they need as much as they can get when they go down the the postseason stretch here
0: is is this the start of the uh 22 23 gordon Hayward sixth man of the year candidacy it could to be, be the, the highest paid sixth man in the league of thirty five thousand per year.
1: That would be, that would be awesome if like they fully committed to him coming off. I mean, that would be, I mean, I don't care about like the whole, like the, the aesthetics or stigma of paying a guy that much money to come off. Me and bunch. you don't care. No, a lot of people
0: do care. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a
1: lot of people would care a lot if, if he was good at making that much and wasn't uh, like a starter anymore. But a lot of people also care when he takes a lot of shots and like, uh, plays a lot and stuff, so there's real uh, that that's a, I, there's no middle ground. Gordon Hayward's never going to win on when it comes to the the internet uh, like judgment group. It's just not possible. He he's he's either hurt or he's playing too much or shoots too much or anything like that. So we'll take what we can get from him down the stretch here. And um, I wanted to note this because before we move on to the next thing, uh, we talked about how good the starting lineup has been, and you brought up the the net rating on offense. Miles Bridges and PJ Washington that uh two two player duo when they're on the court together they are plus 7.3 point differential in the 88th percentile in 2200 possessions this year S- super large sample size which shows that when those two guys are on the court together they're very the hornets play well like uh, whether it's Miles at the 4 and PJ at the 5 or PJ at the 4 Miles at the 3 those two guys on the court together are, that that is an effective combination and You'd have to break that up if you want to start Gordon Hayward. So it's it's, to, it's totally fine to just keep things how they're going and just take what you can get from Gordon Hayward off the bench, ramp him back up, and then you got him next year. He'll be, like, totally healthy, have gotten a full offseason to work out, like, was a part of a postseason run, all of that. So I, I think it, the Hornets are in, are in a pretty good
0: spot here, I think.
1: Your mic is muted, I think.
0: Sorry, those, those <laughs> two do have their flaws when they play together. But going into the season, you didn't really see them play that much together last year. You know, Bridges was backing up P.J. Washington to start the year. And then towards the end of the year, Miles Bridges was starting. P.J. did start some, but it was very stop-start. You didn't really have a clear idea of how it looked, And coming into this season, it, it kind of looked like it was one or the other. To know that those two can play together effectively, it it shouldn't surprise anyone, but it, it's good to know because you're going to have to make decisions pretty soon on paying those guys. And if you didn't know if they could play together, it's pretty scary to dedicate long-term money to, to both these players.
1: Absolutely. We're going to take a quick ad break. And on the other side, we will touch on the Lamelo Slam Magazine article first, and then we'll round out the show with some thoughts on the Eastern Conference and – the hornets season as uh the regular season rounds out see you guys in a minute welcome back to At the hive live we're going to touch on the lamella ball future article by franklin cali i apologize for misspelling that name for mispronouncing that name but i believe that is what it is i have no way to clarify uh it works for slam magazine it was a really fun article i thought on lamello uh, there were some very interesting quotes i saw one of them was kind of making the rounds both on at the hive uh in the comment section uh on monday and just on the internet in general uh because you know lamello lamello is even though he doesn't give a ton of uh interesting quotes to the media when he does give one it's usually like very interesting or very funny so I, this one definitely had a couple of those uh and I thought like the the whole like general premise of the thing was pretty cool. It was like the the writer followed him while he was at like the slam cover shoot and was just I mean, it seemed like they got a pretty like relaxed personal relationship with him. It didn't seem like he was very uptight or anything in this interview at all. So I thought it was I thought it was cool. If you guys, if the listeners want to read it, uh, it is called The King of Queen City. Lamella Ball's Ascension to the Top is Only a Matter of Time on SlamOnline.com it came out on March 30th. So, James, uh, what were your your thoughts on this?
0: Um, you're really interesting again that you see Lamello interviewed on Valley Sports at the end of the games, you see him in post-games. He doesn't ever say anything, but you get him in a different environment. You get him in an environment where he's obviously relaxed, where his guard isn't up. And he he kind of he really speaks his mind. And he says things that probably a lot of NBA players wouldn't say. Um but as we've discussed, he's one-on-one. He's not from here. Like he, 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 He's not like other people. He doesn't follow the social norms. Like, the mellow ball has never probably followed social norms. So it, should, it shouldn't surprise us, but it's just strange because we don't see it on kind of a more consistent basis. And it'll be interesting as he gets more into his NBA career, if he becomes more relaxed with the media or, or which way it goes. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm guessing the quotes that you saw during the rounds – Um, I'm going to give one of them here, which was, quote, when they really put them keys in my hand, I feel like it's going to be a whole new situation. But until then, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do, just trying to get these wins. Then it goes on to say, I ain't going to lie. Every game, I feel like I can do more than what I'm doing. It's just about reading the game and reading the whole situation and everybody being on the same page. The consistency part. Once all that clears, I feel like we'll be straight how did how did you take that quote and what were your thoughts?
1: So I kind of think that that's him kind of just putting words from a player's perspective to like the idea that young teams are very inconsistent and like if you're the best player on your team is also really young uh like you're probably not going to be like consistently successful and you know play the right way every single night you know not make you know not lose games that you shouldn't lose or you Know, have bad stretches through like a couple of weeks or anything like that, but it's kind of just like I feel like it's like a player's perspective on that because, uh, like everyone in the NBA thinks that they could be doing more. Uh, they every single person that has ever stepped on an NBA court thinks yeah. that they should be shooting more than they are, touching the ball more than they are, being involved on defense as like a key piece more than they are. It's just you have to be that confident if you want to reach the absolute pinnacle of your profession there are 450 approximate nba players in the entire world at a time so you have to think that you're the best if you want to actually be one of those players but i think that he's definitely like it's you're right that this is probably not something that another player would say at least in this exact word but i think it's just kind of his perspective on things that we've maybe thought
0: before yeah, and they look. They'd say it to their friends. They'd say it to their oh, agent. Sure. They'd probably say it to their teammates and the coaches. But they don't normally say it to the media. Um, but I I I kind of find it quite refreshing that you know he 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 wants that. He wants yeah. He wants the, him to be the focal point, which is good. But at the same time, like we've read quotes recently about how he's liked playing off ball with Isaiah Thomas because it reminds him of playing with his brothers when he played more off ball when he was younger. Like so. I don't think he's saying here, like, the ball needs to be in my hand taken out. I think he's kind of saying, like, as as I develop and as I get ready, like, you know, and remember, this is a profile piece on him in Slam. So if he's like, I'm really not that big a deal, it's the team. Like, that's a great thing to do, but it's a profile on him in Slam. Like, right. he's, he's he's kind of want to be bigging himself up, talking about, you know, oh, I could be doing more if, if I had more opportunity. So um, I, I, don't have too much of a problem with that. Like he's, he's saying again, what everyone really knows is the hope is he's a more efficient player. He has a few more quivers to his bow in terms of ways to score. Um, he's a little bit more under control. He continues to get that under wraps and that, that we can go through him more. Um, that's what we all want to happen. So I'd, I don't have too much of a problem. He's not saying now he's kind of signaling that this is to be in the future, which, is, which just falls in line with what I think a lot of other people say.
1: And the, the one that I thought was, like, really funny was, this is only, like, half the quote. Uh, there's a little bit before that that talks about, like, oh, your season isn't successful unless you win the championship. Like, we want to make the playoffs. But then he says, this year, hopefully we get in the playoffs, win a first round, something like that. Just keep going up from there. I feel like we're a big away, one that can clog up the whole paint, rebound. Put that bitch in my hands and let me rock. That's how i would be feeling. And then we're going to be straight that's hilarious like that's awesome uh i mean and he's right
0: (laughs) like that's literally
1: that's literally what every hornets fan says is get a bit that can clog the paint rebound and put the ball in labello's hands that's what we all want uh and it's funny that uh, he knows he knows that's what we want so i'm glad he's he's a man of the people i think
0: yeah uh, absolutely everyone everyone knows it but if i'm mason (laughs) Plumley.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's. And it we're, we're in the hairy, middle but... of a
0: plane push <laughs> you don't really like it's just not something nice to read about yourself and like i'm sure mason doesn't need me to look after him right like i, I think I'm sure yeah. he's fine
1: yeah okay i don't know yeah he's fine. probably not shedding tears but um
0: <laughs> no but it's just one of those things that like leaders don't normally say oh i can't wait to get a new teammate
1: yeah, that's which is yeah. basically
0: what he's saying there, right? Now, if he was saying this about Terry Rozier, I think I'd be a little even, I'd, I'd be like, This is out, you know, this is out of line. You know, he's saying it about Mason Plumney. I think even Mason Plumney probably knows that he's not the long term partner that the Hornets are going to build around the Mellow Ball with. Like, yeah. if if he, if he if Jason Tatum's saying something about this with Jalen, you know, oh, we need to get rid of, you know we need to go through me more. We need to get rid of these other wings who take shots. Like that for me is a concern because you're talking about your two guys, you know, the the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert comparison, those two snipe each other back and forth in the media all the time. This is a little bit different. Like he's, you know, Plumlee can't do a lot of the things that he's asking here. Um, So I'd rather him not say it in that way. Um, You know, he could have said something about uh, you know, we need to get, uh, you know, we need to maybe look to add some more size and more shot blocking. Like you could have just left it a bit more vague. He, he went, but he just went right in and he spoke his mind, which again, it's refreshing to see athletes do that because we all want them to do that. And then as soon as they do, we just jump to criticize them. Um, so yeah, yeah, I can understand why there's got people talking and I think he's such like a playable, lovable character, Lamelo. I, like some people can say shit like that and just get away with it, like yeah. Mason like, I, would be like, "I, I oh, bet just...
1: everyone around him when he said that did not think it was like an insult in any way to yeah. anyone." Like they probably like thought Mason's was probably just...
0: like, "Oh, it's just Lamelo." Like he didn't yeah. mean it. Like, but if someone else had said that exact quote, Mason probably be like, "Yeah, he's like that's out of line." So, yeah, you know, sometimes people can get away with saying things because of the type of person they are, and that's not always right. But it's just. It's just the facts and the truth of life. Um, and he does have that personality and that relationship with team that is a lot of fun. He's a hive of energy. Like he he's not a nasty guy. Like you don't see that streak in him at all. So I don't think people read. I think people give him the benefit of the doubt where they go, oh, he, you know, he, he misspoke a little bit there rather than, than jumping at him.
1: Uh, And uh, one more before we move on to the next thing. The one about uh, Lithuania I thought was really cool because it basically, like, the whole narrative built up of him that he's, like, I mean, obviously he grew up very wealthy. He got a Lamborghini for his 16th birthday, but that he was, like, coddled and, like, a a, was treated like a star from when he was 14 years old and, like, he got here because, like, his parents had money and he was famous on social media. It, like, completely goes against that because he says, honestly, after Lithuania... I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but we're so far into it. I just that did a minute ago. You. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think the, the corporate people are listening anymore. But he says, after honestly, after Lithuania, I didn't give a fuck where I got drafted to. The beds, you roll off to the left, you fall off. You roll off to the right, you fall off. Motherfucking calves hanging off the bed, not feet. <laughs> calves hanging off the bed. It was bad, bro. Once you get through that, I was like, I don't care where y'all put me in. As long as I'm in the States and I got water, I'm good. That whole shit bro it felt like one big ass night that shit was crazy food was hard to eat hella cold nobody around that's pretty much where I just locked in and I'm like, yeah, I don't really need too much just get it done and grind That right there was big I feel like sacrifice that's what I looked at it as so like that like that type of guy you would not imagine someone that gives that quote getting a Lamborghini for their 16th birthday so it, I th- it just goes to show that he really does have both sides of it like it's the in the article it mentions how Lavar would like, bring him to like areas that were not like the one that he grew up in in Chino Hills in California to be like, yeah, man, like you've got it really good, but not everybody else does. So appreciate that, which is something that he says like pretty much every time he gets the opportunity to. So he's like a very legitimate person. Like he doesn't fake anything. Like this is all, this is all him and he can do both sides of the getting the Lamborghini for the 16th birthday and then sleeping on a bed that is seemingly like four inches long.
0: He, he still has the most uh, – there's not one other NBA player currently in the league who's taken the exact path he's taken. It probably won't and ever happen again. It probably be very few, and it is impossible to ever compare someone to the path. And, uh, look, I don't think, uh, you know, talent developers are looking at the Lamelliball Ball pathway to the NBA and being like, yeah, we need to recreate this. Reality TV show, loads of money when you're 14, social media star, then we ship you to Lithuania, then we create a league that you play in. Like, then you go over to Australia and then you go to the league. Like, no one's, no one's repeating that. Um, and that's just going to give him a, un- a unique view on these things. Um, one thing I will say, I was a little bit, like, I would have loved him to be in a Hornets jersey on the cover. Um, he was obviously rocking a, I think, a yeah. custom jersey with his it's, middle name.
1: Uh, yeah, his, it's his personal, uh, like, lifestyle brand, which I believe is, like, an imprint of Puma, but I'm not sure. But it's, it's called uh, La France, which is his, La French, yeah, yeah, his which middle, is name. middle name.
0: Like, yeah, which is his middle name. So. I, I, I would have loved for him to be in a Hornets jersey. Yeah. Like, but that's because
1: I bet I'm you it par- was I'm paranoid thing.
0: that the Mellow Ball is a great thing that's happened to the team and one day he will leave for another team. Yeah. And you know, you don't you just you want him every yeah. every time he says I love the city and everything, you kind of it's like a little bit of reassuring. Um I, Chase, I was curious, like what percentage odds would you give it that at some point in his career the mellow ball plays for the Lakers?
1: Zero. I think he'd pl- I think he's a Clippers guy. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that they're, what? I don't, I don't think that I don't, the Lakers
0: after how they treated Lonzo.
1: Yeah, that is, that was one, two. What about after how they've, they've treated LeBron and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook? Like this hasn't gone well for, for much bigger and more established names than, than Lonzo and Lamella ball. They might be a cooked franchise uh, uh, for now. And until they start to figure things out, so I don't I don't I don't know if they're going to be like an attractive free agent destination right away. I feel like he would maybe be a Clippers guy if he were to play in L.A., but I don't know mm-hmm. if he he would necessarily do that either. I don't, I, I don't I don't. He, he just he seems well, like nobody, obviously he likes Charlotte, yeah. but like what what would he what else would he like? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Would he like playing in Chicago with his brother? Who knows? Like. He's he's a he's a very unique individual. Well, I think he's he's in Charlotte for the long haul, though. They'll, they'll treat him well. He seems to. Obviously, the fans love him. He's like the the biggest star in the city. You know that that's hard to get in LA. So, yeah, I think, and,
0: and I I didn't I do not think it's gonna happen anytime. But like, it's very rare that any player stays with their team for the whole yeah, NBA definitely. career. Now, like, so I'm talking 15 year NBA career at some point. Um yeah. I'm not thinking in the next two or three, but like, even like Damien Lillard, you know, Mr. Mr. Portland trailblazer was, you know, been rumored for trades and stuff in the last couple of years. So, okay. I think that we we've covered the slam article. Good article. I I love how we get these Lamelo Hornetsy pieces every now and then. And we're going to continue to do that while he's on the team, just because he draws eyeballs, um, which is great to get insight into that. Um, I guess just to finish up, Kind of any any last thoughts, really? I mean, we already touched on kind of the, e- the Eastern Conference, really, at the start of the podcast and the and the, the schedule coming down the stretch. But have you got any kind of final thoughts, really, as we come to the end of the regular season? Uh, any takeaways for for the Eastern Conference?
1: I think that first of first i think that the the champion will likely come from the east this year this is more of a take than like a thought i guess but mm. i think that the east uh, like the as a whole this year uh obviously it's been like very good but where the hornets have been is like they have never fallen to the depths of the east at any point they have been in the thick of it with like the other championship playoff contending teams like for the entire time and when certain teams runs end or whatever, like I think that we're going to see the, like hopefully if everything, you know, continues along at, throughout the off season and into next year, we'll, it'll probably jump up really quickly, like in a way that the Memphis Grizzlies did or something like that. Because while a lot of these teams are really good right now, Brooklyn's not getting any younger. Miami's not getting any younger. Uh, I mean, DeMar DeRozan is not getting any younger for Chicago and neither is Vucevic. Uh, the Sixers, outside of Harden and Embiid, have like a not a great roster. Like, there's so much. It's everything is very. Everybody's playing really well right now, but after this year and like as things go throughout the playoffs, I think we're going to learn a lot about the the future. I think and like where things might be headed for certain teams. So I think that that'll be fun. And the Hornets yeah. li- likely stand to benefit from that as one of the younger teams in the East.
0: I I definitely think Charlotte. Yeah, should aim to kind of reach the apex in probably years two to four from now in terms yeah. of like pushing the chips in the middle. I, I know people will be getting furious with this. Oh, yeah. Perhaps people yeah. being like, two to the four Hornets years. have been, been where you've got to build something around the mellow now, he's going to leave, etc. But just looking like with the team being how young it is, the experience, it takes time. The other teams in the East right now who've got chips in, I think it's worth not playing the, oh, we have to try and win it now. Because there's a lot of teams trying to do that right now. Exactly. And there's a lot of decent teams that we've already talked about. But like you say, fast forward two to four years, that Miami team, uh, the Chicago team, the Nets, they're going to be struggling a little bit. They're obviously some of the good young teams as well, but I, I completely agree with you here that it's it's not about trying to win a championship next season. Um, it's about balancing this thing out. And Mitch Kupchak has said that every single time he's spoken to the media that they are trying to build for the long-term here, long-term foundational pieces, they're not trying to rush this. And I don't think the way the season has played out necessarily changes that. Now, that doesn't mean if a great deal comes along your table, you know, if Rudy Gobert becomes available, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you don't make the move because you're waiting for two years from now. Like, you take advantage of situations. But I don't think they're going to be forcing something to happen.
1: All right. So we got anything? Oh, actually, I want to ask you something before we round out this episode, because I I don't think we have much else other than that, uh, unless you do. But first, so Kai Jones, JT Thor, and James Booknight, Greensboro Swarm season's over. They all got transferred back to the Hornets today, along with Kolboka and Scotty Lewis. What were you, any, any uh, season-ending thoughts on the Greensboro Swarm this year? I know you watched like a, a pretty – a decent amount of – not every single game, obviously, but a, a decent well, amount of them.
0: Well, m- maybe the most underrated thing is the Hornets have got their best bench cheerleader back in Scotty Lewis. they Absolutely. got him back on the bench now for the stretch run. That's what they brought him in for. Yep. Um, look, I'd, look, I think – I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on this yeah. if you were allowed – um, <laughs> with, yeah, your, with your G League contracts, so I could do a whole podcast on this. Um, quick grades, just off the top of my head: Kai Jones A, James Bucknight probably like a C C plus, Scotty Lewis C, JT Thor probably like a B minus, Um, Arnoldus Kaboka probably like a B plus, something like that. Off the top of my head, I I think Kai Jones has been great, especially the second half of the year. He's made a massive stride from the start to finish. Scotty Lewis, I've got a really good sense of exactly what he is, what he does and what he doesn't do and what he needs to improve on. He needs to cut down on turnovers, which are his absolute kryptonite. Um, He needs to make more impact on his defensive end from his effort. But overall for the year, I saw enough flashes to be intrigued. I was a little bit disappointed in JT Thor's end of the G League year. I think he started the year really well. Then he spent a lot of time with the Hornets and didn't get as much run. But Kai Jones has shown enough to me that I think he can be a rotation piece piece next year. Like um, he He's really come a long way defensively, playing the five, playing it full-time essentially in Greensboro. And I feel a lot better about that pick now. And if you were to make me pick Kai Jones and James Bucknight, either or right now, it'd be tough. But I, I, I think I had Kai Jones rated one spot ahead of James Bucknight in draft night. I think I'd probably still lean Kai Jones, which I know is – A bold statement considering he's played probably about three NBA minutes this season and we've seen more of Buck Knight. But people, just because Kai Jones has not taken the floor, people are already like, I've heard, you know, oh, why did they trade a first round pick for a guy who couldn't even play? No, you don't understand. This is a development process, a development system. They would rather get someone in their system this past year rather than wait and use that pick in another year's time because now he's going to be a year closer to contributing and from what i've seen in greensboro been been really impressed
1: yeah fully agree on the kai jones front uh his development this year as a player has kind of like kind of gone under the radar just cuz most of it happened in greensboro but i mean watching like his first game of the year or like a summer league game and watching like the most recent Greensboro games at the end of the season is like night and day. He's he's he really has gotten so much better as a two way player. He's so much more consistent. And with my, the last thing to end this podcast is another it's another Greensboro Swarm player. Do you know that we did not get a Joe Chili ten day contract this season? This is the first time since twenty eighteen that he there's has still not time. been a member there's still time there's there's no roster <laughs> Oh no spot. you can't
0: you can't see him anymore they signed
1: you? they signed uh isaiah thomas to that final available roster spot too wow joe Chilli will not be a member of the charlotte hornets in 2022 he he was he was on a two-way in 2018 and then the last two seasons got a 10-day at the end of the year so he did mitch kupchak finally lost his guy i don't know what he... i will
0: say about joe Chilli though came back i think from an achilles tear yeah, I, I think he so. He tore his Achilles over lockdown, and he came back this season. So, like, that is probably the worst injury for any basketball player to have. So, shout out for him for doing that, coming back, playing professional basketball, and playing playing well. He had some good games. Um, So, so you know, massive respect to Joe Lee for – that's a long journey back. Like, that's, you know, it's impressive.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, obviously, he's like a, someone that the Hornets organization really likes, and they value his presence to – have him on two ways 10 days greensboro basically any type of nba contract that you can sign within the hornets organization joe Chile has had one so it's 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 a little bit upsetting that that the run ends this year but i mean hopefully he can he gets some opportunity whether it's the nba or g league or just any anywhere you can get paid to play professional basketball because he's definitely good enough for that and so it was good to see that he got back this year for yeah.
0: But no, I'm I'm definitely gonna be doing some Greensboro coverage, uh probably, you know, early stages of the offseason and and reviewing some of that stuff. But uh yeah, we got we got more important things. Just but we gotta say we got more important things for the next week and a half, which is exciting to say.
1: Oh yes, we do. We've got plenty of plenty of things to watch out for here in the next week. You got anything else, James, before we let the listeners go?
0: Let's leave it there. Let's leave it All there. Right. Fast forward to Washington on Sunday. And we will, we will know our matchup and we'll be back with some, uh, some in-depth analysis of the uh, Hornets matchup opponents.
1: All right, that'll do it. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of At The Hive Live, and we will see you after the regular season ends. Thanks, guys.